Thanks for listening to the podcast from Gary Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Wilson, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. Good to see you this morning. You look, you look pretty good out there. You got an extra hour of sleep, right? You didn't use it up by staying an hour later did, last night. Did you change your clocks last night? This is what happens. I was looking at the, the, the crowd right before you at our 915 service. They look so tired. They got too much sleep. I don't know what happened there. Maybe that's you today. But uh, speaking of tired, that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about how Jesus offers a greater rest, a greater rest. That's what we're going to be talking about in just a minute. Before we do, I want us to just reflect for a second on what the implication of Jesus being greater is as it regards the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is that we're to go and make disciples of all nations. And we take that very seriously as a church, that we are to be a disciple-making church. And because of that, we, a couple of years ago, wrote a, a workbook called Life on Life Discipleship. And I hope many of you have been through this process with us. Uh, in fact, uh, to date, 256 people have been going through this process. And we're really excited about that. It's a 21-week, or 21-session, I should say, process uh, where we learn to become more and more like Jesus. To, first of all, be a disciple of Jesus, but then also to be trained to know how to make disciples of Jesus. And speaking of being trained to make disciples, we have three new disciple makers as of October. In October, we had three new people, first-time disciple makers, and I want to recognize them just for a second. That's Dwayne Raper, Tyler Dean, and Jackie Adkins. So give them a hand. They started um, their first, uh, first time as disciple makers, fresh from being trained to do that we had four new people sign up for discipleship starting in October. And so we, we want to make sure that we uh, recognize what's happening in our church, that we're a church that's serious about being disciples of Jesus, following Jesus, but also being disciple makers. And uh, th the thing that we want to be able to do is not just be a church that's a come and see church where you come and hear the gospel, but the kind of church that's producing disciple makers that go and tell. And so we encourage you, if you have, uh, have interest in being part of that, uh, that you would indicate that on your connection card today. And we'll connect you with a trained disciple maker to help you get started. Now, let's dig in. We're in part six of our series, Jesus is Greater. Our theme verse is in Hebrews chapter 1. It says, this shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave Him is greater than their names. And that's where we get our series theme. And today we'll be looking at chapter 4 of Hebrews, verses 1 through 13. And you'll notice that the word rest is in those 13 verses 10 times. And so for those of you that, that wonder, like, how does Gary come up with, how does he come up with his themes and his title? Well, one way I do it is I just count repetitive words. How, what's this passage about? God, help me understand. What's it about? Well, I saw the word rest ten times. I'm thinking it's probably about rest. That's probably what the, the word's talking about in these 13 verses. And it reminds me of the invitation of Jesus. It's found in Matthew chapter 11. He says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And I wonder how many of you are here this morning, and you need some rest. You just need, you need some rest. And uh, maybe you're saying, I'm weary, I have heavy burdens, I need rest. Uh, and, it, and, you, and probably the kind of rest that you need 
You need more than a nap. You need more than an hour of extra sleep. You, you need uh, more than a, uh, an all-inclusive family vacation. Maybe, maybe you think, well, I'd like to have that. But trust me, when you, when you get over that, then you're right back where you were. There's, there's a deeper need uh, that is unmet today. In fact, have you heard the new name for today's young generation? Uh, they're called the tired generation. A an article I recently read, the tired generation. Why Gen Z and millennials are so exhausted all the time. And it gives four reasons why they're so tired. Now, we're talking about the young people now. I know why we old people are tired all the time. We got an excuse, right? But the young people, why are the young people so tired? Well, they give four reasons why Gen Z and millennials are so tired. The first is technology takeover. It says in this article, more than 8 in 10 millennials say they sleep with a cell phone glowing by the bed, poised to disgorge text, phone calls, email songs, news, videos, games, and wake-up jingles. So technology takeover is causing us to be tired. Number two, hustle culture. Martin Reed, a certified clinical sleep health expert, says if we constantly check our email when we get home in the evening, we make it harder to unwind and prepare for sleep. We may even be tempted to take our work home with us and finish projects in bed at night. With more and more people working from home these days, is that you? Are you working from home? You can't tell the difference between the workplace and the home place. They just kind of bleed together. And so we find ourselves as being part of the hustle culture and so we're tired here's the third reason money worries young people today have student loans they're struggling with inflation increasing medical insurance costs saving perhaps to purchase their first home the average 25 to 34 year old has forty two thousand dollars in unsecured debt that's why they've also been called the anxious generation not just the tired they're they're tired and worrisome and then number four, poor coping behaviors. Another contributing factor to why today's generation is the tired generation. Fast food, little to no exercise, overly dependent on medications, overconsumption of alcohol and caffeine, and the list goes on. We could call the young generation the most medicated generation. But I would say that all in all, it's not just the young, perhaps this whole generation of Americans today could be lumped into the category of the exhausted, tired generation. We need some rest. We need real rest, rest that really lasts. And Jesus offers it. I wonder if we can answer two questions today. I want you to listen to see if we can answer them. One is, what is this rest that Jesus offers? What, what is it? And then secondly, how do we get some? How do we enter into this rest that Jesus alone offers? So we're going to be looking in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. In this in this book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is primarily addressing Jewish background believers, and they have a, an awareness of the Old Testament, and so you'll see him preaching from the Old Testament and explaining to them why Jesus is greater and why Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so he continues this in chapter 4, and he encourages them to find their rest in Jesus. And I think today we can find real rest in Jesus. And as we look at the text, we'll see how to enter into this rest, God's rest. So let's dig in. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, 
but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken... For, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is God's Word. We're looking for three ways on how to enter God's rest. Here's the first. Understand the urgent necessity of entering by faith. Understand the urgent necessity of entering by faith. The, the preacher of Hebrews continues his sermon that he had begun in chapter 3. And he continues in the same text. He continues to preach from Psalm 95. This is the psalm that he's quoting. Uh, but in, in chapter 3, he, his emphasis was on hard hearts. A warning against having a hard heart so that you uh, harden your heart towards God's promise. But now he shifts his emphasis from the warning about a hard heart to really a warning about missing his rest. That this rest is offered to us, it's available to us, and there's a warning that you shouldn't miss it. That you should fear missing it. You should fear missing out on this rest. And so he's preaching from the same text from Psalm 95, but he has a different emphasis. Here it is rest. And then notice the urgency of this warning. He has some time words here. If you look in verse 4, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, while, okay, that's a time word, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. So while this is still available, while this promise is still available, make sure you get in. Make sure you pursue it. Now, it begins with the word therefore, and as we know, anytime we see the word therefore, we should always ask, what's it there for? And it's always like an equal sign in the text pointing to something prior. And if you have your Bibles, you can look back in chapter 3, and the last thing it said was, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Now, who's they? They're the people of Israel getting ready to enter into the promised land, but then because of their unbelief, they turned back. And God caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. For 40 years of wilderness warning. And so they were unable, because of their unbelief, to enter into this rest. But now he says to us today in chapter 4, Therefore, 
be aware of something. There's still a rest available because that rest was never really the ultimate fulfillment rest that God was really talking about all along. He goes, it's still available. It still stands. So don't miss out on it. That's what he, so, so there's a sense of urgency, and it's a necessity. Now, what's the necessity? So this place of rest, this, this rest that you're invited into, uh, what's the door that, what's the key that unlocks the door to get into this rest? Well, make no mistake, he points it out. He says in verse 2, For good news came to us just as to them. That's the Greek word for gospel, good news. He says there was a good news that came to them, and there's a good news that's coming to us. And they, speaking of the people who turned back and didn't believe God, they missed out on the rest because they heard it, but they didn't fulfill the necessity of the key that turns the lock in the door. What's the key? Faith. You see it? Came to us just as them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith. But then it goes on to talk about those who do believe, verse 3, for we have believed. We who have believed enter that rest. That's the key. You can't enter into this rest by your own self-effort. It can only be received. And there's two components of this. There's a message to be heard, so there's a, there's a necessity of hearing the good news about Jesus. But hearing alone will not cause you or enable you to enter His rest. Hearing alone, they heard, but they died in the wilderness. So there's something more than hearing necessary. There's an urgent necessity of entering by faith. You must believe. And this is not passive faith. This is not just uh, the esoteric, uh, yeah, I believe it, but, but it's active, obedient faith that stakes your life on it. That yes, I've decided to place my faith in the good news that Jesus is the only way. Now when we speak of rest, we look this word up. It's, as I said, it's in here ten times. It's in verse 1, 3, 4, 5, 8, 9, 10, and 11. It's throughout this passage the word rest, and if you look it up in the Hebrew, if you look it up in the Greek, if you look it up in the English de dictionary, the word rest is a rich word. It has several uh, implications. And let me give you five that I found in the Oxford Dictionary. One, and it's the first one that comes to mind perhaps for you, is to cease from work or activity, to rest from activity. The, the second one is to be placed or supported uh, in a specific position, like my Bible is now resting on this podium, like that. that that's, a, that's a meaning. Uh, a third meaning would be to be based on or grounded in or depended, depending on. I rest, you know, I rest myself on the Constitution of the United States, or I rest, you know, it's to, something, or to rest, I depend on Jesus. I rest in Jesus means I depend on Him. Uh, here's a fourth one. Um, to relax, to be refreshed, uh, to take a nap. That's rest. And, and then finally, this one, maybe you haven't thought of this one, to conclude a legal case. And so the defense rests, which means they've concluded. They've, they've laid out their case and they've concluded. It means completion. So the word rest can mean that you've come to a place of completion. All of these might be worthy of our study today. It's not the study that we're doing today because we're following what the preacher is saying here in Hebrews chapter 4, but it might be worthy of our consideration to just kind of 
rest, rest on the word rest for a minute. And just think, I think Jesus accomplishes all this for us. He causes us so we can cease from our own self-attempts at righteousness that always falls short because, because that fifth one, he, he rests his case because he completed all the work necessary so that he can say the defense rests because he's already accomplished all that's necessary. And we can also say we can relax in him. We can lean back and rest in him because he is Lord and he is God and he made us and there's just so many aspects of this word. I would encourage the study of the word rest and to ask yourself, where is your heart restless today? Because wherever your heart, if you're a believer today, if you have believed the good news and placed your faith in Jesus, where are you restless? Because wherever that is, that's the place you're not resting in Jesus. Because His invitation is not to a promised land, but to a promised person. He says, come to me, and I will give you rest. So this rest is found in Jesus that he speaks of. And it's, there's a timing to it. Now he uses a word here that you might find surprising in verse uh, 1. Let, it, let us fear, lest we should uh, seem to have failed to reach it. This idea of failed to reach it in the Greek has the idea of to, to be left behind. To be running a race and fail, and, and fail to reach the finish line. Uh, he, he, he uses the word fear. Now this gives us trouble, doesn't it, as believers? Doesn't the Bible say, hey, now wait a minute, doesn't the Bible contradict itself on this? Somebody might be saying, like, doesn't the Bible over there in 2 Timothy say, God has not given us a spirit of fear? So what's, why is the Bible telling us we're supposed to fear something? Because there's, there's things that are right things to fear, and there are wrong things to fear. So be careful when you study God's Word. Don't just pull one verse out. Read the whole thing in context. There are things that God wants you to fear, and there are things that God doesn't want you to fear. The fear of man, He warns against. But He says the fear of God leads to wisdom and eternal life. And so, But here He says you should fear missing out on the peace of Christ. It, that should shake you up. That you would miss out on this wonderful opportunity to enter into the peace of Jesus. Because after all, we're the tired generation. Oh, come on. Don't miss out. There are things to fear. Um, my wife and I have ten grandchildren. Sometimes we have all of them around us at the house. And sometimes we might want to cross the street with them. Now, we can put a couple of them in our arms. We've only got so many arms between us. And then we can put maybe one or two can hold hands with some of the older ones. But then there's always them crumb snatchers that get loose. You know what I mean? The ones you can't get a hand on. They're moving. And if you're going to go cross the road, you should fear that a car might come and hit one of your grandkids. And you want them to have the same fear. You mean you're trying to teach your kids? I'm trying to teach them you should fear crossing the road without looking both ways. That's a positive fear. That's a good fear. You should fear not just wandering out into traffic without looking both ways. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a, and you should fear, he says, missing out on the peace of Jesus, on the rest that you can find in Jesus. Where are you restless at today? Where, where's your heart not at peace? Where, where are you wringing your hands? Where are you biting your nails? 
that very place, you've yet to enter in to the rest of Jesus because, because he offers real rest. Now, it's, this entry is by faith alone. We see in Romans the necessity of hearing and believing. Romans chapter 10, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. There's, there's an essential of hearing, but hearing alone will not turn the lock for opening the door to rest. There must be hearing plus believing. So hearing and believing, we enter into his rest. This is what we see in the first three verses. Let us fear missing out on this. Let us enter into it with urgency. Now here's the second. Recognize the ultimate fulfillment found only in Jesus. This is the second. We're going to be working on the latter part of verse 3 through verse 10. We're going to take a big bite right here on this second one. Recognize the ultimate fulfillment found only in in Jesus. Now, in these three chapters prior, the, the preacher of Hebrews has already told us Jesus is greater than all. He's greater than the prophets before him. He's greater than the angels. He's even greater than the founder, Moses. And now he's going to keep going. He's going to say, you know who else he's greater than? He's greater than Joshua. He's greater than Joshua. Not only that, he's greater than the Sabbath itself. He's, he's greater than that. He's greater than the Sabbath. You know why? Because he's the ultimate fulfillment of all. And that's what he's going to be saying here in these next few verses. Now in the latter part of verse 3, he shifts gears from Psalm 95 and he goes, you know what? He goes, if, if he were here right now preaching, he'd go, now we've been in Psalm 95, but brethren, let's turn back to that first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. That's what he does right here. And he goes, let's, let's just get cosmic about it. Let's just go back for an overview and he goes back to Genesis chapter 2. And he quotes from Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. And you can see it there. The quotation is in verse 4. For he has spoken uh, somewhere, somewhere spoken. Now this is funny to me. Here's this guy. He's preaching to a Jewish audience. And he don't remember what book of the Bible it talks about God creating things. And No, this is a, this is a play on words. He, he knew he was quoting Genesis. I think he goes... It is said somewhere, they would all kind of snigger to themselves. Well, of course, that's the first scroll. That's the book of Genesis. That's, that's back there. You don't even have to read but two chapters and you're there. So I think it's really that. I don't think he forgot the address of Genesis 2-2. I think it's just a way of saying it. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. Now, he, he's taken this word rest... And he's driving it deeper than we ever expected. He takes it all the way back to creation. How about that? He's gone past Psalm 95 now. He's done dialed, he's done dialed the clock back. He's done climbed in the time machine and taken us all the way back to creation so that we can understand that God had something deep in mind when he rested on the seventh day. He had something very powerful in mind. And he, he's dialing it in right here. And so we can actually find this. I'll put it up on the screen for you to remind you. Genesis 2, uh, verse 2 and 3. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. In other words, he completed creation. 
And so the word rest also has the idea of to complete a thing. Now he's rested from it because he completed it. But it was more than that because this is before the fall. This is, this is before Adam and Eve sinned. He called the seventh day holy before they sinned. So, so if you think about it from that perspective, oh, he's dialing back here. He's giving us something to really consider that this idea of Sabbath precedes even the Ten Commandments when it was written down. Okay? So he's dialing all the way back here. Now, he keeps going. And, and he's talking about this in verse 6. He, he says, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, there's still those who have not entered, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. He's just reminding of, of those people in, that wandered 40 years in the wilderness that neglected to believe. But then in verse 7, he goes, now let's go back to Psalm 95. He's going to wrap this up in a second. Don't get confused. Let's go back to Psalm 95, and, he, and now he wants to emphasize the word today. And he wants to make the point that David was writing centuries after the book of Genesis was written. And he's wanting to let us know that there was still, and, he's, and not only is David writing centuries after the book of Genesis, he's writing centuries after Joshua. And so he's pulling out that word today, and he's saying, there's a rest that's still available that still hasn't happened. God was talking about it back there in Genesis. Uh, he was telling Joshua, and he, Joshua led the people into the promised land, but they didn't really find rest once they got there. He's saying, so again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, after what? After, after those people who wandered in the wilderness. In the words already quoted, and he quotes Psalm 95 again, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And then verse, verse 8, he says, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Okay. So Joshua wasn't able to do it. Now this is a play on words too. Joshua, some of you might have the King James with you. It actually says, for if Jesus had given them rest. But it's not talking about our Jesus. It's talking about Joshua. Do you know that's the same word in Hebrew? Yeshua? Same word. It means God's salvation. So Joshua's name is the same. In the Greek, it's Yesu. Uh, in, in Spanish, it's Jesus, right? And we say Jesus, but that's just, it's the same name. And so, so Joshua, the one who led them into the promised land, he failed to give them the rest that God promised. What? Okay. So why is David talking about today, if you hear his voice, why is he talking about this place of rest? Because it's still laying out there available. Someone hadn't come along yet to fulfill it. So then there remains, verse 9, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. This is the good news. There's still a rest available that's still laying there. He's saying to this Jewish background audience, I know you look up to Moses. I know you look up to Joshua. But all they were were foreshadowings of Jesus. And I know you make a big deal about remembering the Sabbath. And so you should. But I want you to know something. There's one greater than the Sabbath. He's the fulfillment of the Sabbath. He is our Sabbath rest. His name is Jesus. He is our Sabbath rest. He is the one who fulfills it so that we can rest just as God has rested. In the book of Mark, Jesus said, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He's the Lord over the Sabbath. 
He's over the Sabbath. He's not under it. And in Matthew, he talks about his fulfilling of things. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He comes to even fulfill the law of the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy? He is our Sabbath rest. He comes to fulfill that portion of the law. Thus, in Psalm 37, we see this instruction. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Rest in Jesus. He is our Sabbath rest. Now, I want you to consider for a moment. Now, now keep, keep yourselves engaged. This is, I'm getting ready to fly at 35,000 feet. I'm getting ready to go high because that's what this Hebrews author has done. He's taken us. He wants to, he wants to give the broad view of the word rest. And he takes it all the way back to Genesis, and then he dials forward again and goes through Joshua, and then he comes all the way back to David in Psalm 95, and then he brings it to today. So if you just kind of think about this whole overarching theme of rest, you could say it, it, it's creation, it's the fall, it's the season of redemption, and then that future season that hasn't come yet called glory. Can I just carry that thread of rest through that for just a second? Would you hang with me for just a second? So back in Genesis, during the season of creation, Sabbath meant this. He had finished everything, and so now Adam and Eve lived in permanent Sabbath. They lived with a permanent Sabbath rest. And they fellowshiped with the Lord in the cool of the evening. And so Sabbath for them was a complete connection to Him and fellowship, so they focused on Him and He fo an enjoyment of God in their life and also a complete dependence on Him because every need was met. There was no worry. There was no trouble. There were no tears. They were at complete rest in that season of creation. He rested, and it was a perpetual rest until they sinned. And when they sinned, they rejected God's Sabbath, they rejected His rest, and they believed the serpent that they could be like God and that they could do it their own way. And then the fall comes. Now we're in this second economy, if you will, of, of, of reality. And this is the economy of the Old Testament because now it makes sense why God gave them the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Because they had fallen... But if they could take the seventh day, if they could take the seventh day and rest from their labors and focus on God, they could get a foretaste of what they had lost. They could focus on God. They, they could read His Scriptures. And, and even in the wilderness, He gave them enough manna on the sixth day so they didn't have to gather on the seventh. And so, so it's, it was the same. They were to fellowship, focus on fellowshipping with God, and, and, and remember that they were dependent on Him for His provision so that they rested one day a week. Now look, they were just as busy as anybody. They were farmers. They had to work. If you've ever worked on a farm, it's hard to rest any day of the week. And I remember spending summers with my grandfather and getting up at 4 a.m. to milk the cows. I thought it was fun then. I was only 11. It wasn't fun for long, but it was fun then. And it's hard, it's hard to rest when you're working in an agricultural environment, but they rested because they recognized He's God, He's my provider, and so He was teaching them during the fall, and it's an explanation for why there was a fourth commandment. But now we move into a season that was inaugurated by the coming of the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who came to give us true rest, and that's the season of redemption that we live in now. And so now we're invited to live in Sabbath rest now, because the Sabbath 
is not a place nor a day of the week. It's a person. His name is Jesus. And when you enter into him, you enter into perpetual Sabbath, which is, which is a, a foretaste of, of what some theologians call the already not yet. You already have it, but not yet, because you're still surrendering parts of your life that are still restless. But as you surrender them to Jesus, you find rest in all of those places. And so we're in that season of redemption. Christ completes his work of redemption. He rests on the seventh day in the tomb. And then He gets up and is raised on the first day of the week, which is the day that we worship. We worship on the first day of the week because we live in the age of redemption. The lost treasures of the Sabbath are restored in Jesus. Whatever was temporary about the Mosaic Sabbath is left behind for the perpetual Sabbath of Jesus. He is Lord Sabaoth. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so we celebrate on the Lord's Day, but truly every day, somebody, well, do you, do, you, do you keep the Sabbath? Well, I keep Jesus, and He keeps me, and now every day is the Sabbath. Y'all out there? You, you ever wonder why we celebrate on the first day of the week? That's the day He conquered sin, death, and the grave. He got up. And there's no, there's no command to keep the Sabbath in the New Testament. You know why? Because He fulfilled it. He is the Sabbath. He is your Sabbath rest. You want to find rest? Look to Jesus. That's where your rest is. It's in a person. His name is Jesus. He is our Sabbath rest. And He's not finished because we have this already not yet because there's a rest to come. Oh, it's better. And that's the season of glory that's right around the corner. And it's going to be better than creation. It'll be similar to creation because we will have uh, fellowship with the Father. We will be with the Lord always. And every need will be met. Every... But you know why it'll be better? It'll be better than it was for Adam and Eve because Adam and Eve were innocent. They'd never shed a tear. They'd never had a trouble. They'd never suffered. They took for granted the rest that God gave them. But we won't. We'll live in glory. He's going to wipe away our tears. He's going to give us a new body and a new glorified. We're going to always go oh glory we now know rest so there's a heavenly rest but we already in Jesus have a foretaste of it and we have the assurance that this is coming this heavenly rest you can enter it now don't miss it don't miss it when we uh, we're in Israel and I, I just it's making me think of it because I got another video from my buddy Mickey, who's been my tour guide on every trip I've taken to Israel, he sent us another video yesterday to pray for Israel. But he taught us a little song. Robin, probably you remember this little song. It's an easy song that we would sing on the bus, especially on Sabbath day. When you get to the Sabbath day, we okay, it's Sabbath, so let's sing this song. And it was uh, uh, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shabbat Shalom. Everybody, Shabbat, okay, that was the bus. Yeah, we did it on the bus. It's just two words, Sabbath, peace. Shabbat Shalom. Remember that? I'd like to go back to Israel. It's kind of tough over there. There's no tours going on over there right now, but maybe one day we can go back. Maybe, maybe one day soon. Here's something that St. Augustine said as he was considering this. He says, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. You have a restless heart today. Believer, you're not supposed to. 
because you need to enter that rest. And that rest has a name. It's Jesus. And here comes the third. Here's the third way we can enter that rest. Give unblinking diligence to applying God's Word. Give unblinking diligence to applying God's Word. The preacher concludes with a kind of a exhortation. He goes, let us strive to rest. Seems paradoxical. Work to rest. Labor to rest. How does that make sense? Well, there is a sense in which the best rest comes after labor. That, that's the best rest. If you just lay around the house all day, you kind of feel wore out afterwards. You ever feel that? Like, eh, I'm more tired now than when I took the nap. You know, you ever feel like you're more tired after you take a nap? There's a kind of rest that we need that's deeper than the body. And sometimes laboring, actually checking off some boxes that you've been worried about, actually will bring you rest. Perhaps there are places I can think of where you can work to rest makes sense. But here, he seems to have something else in mind. He has the idea of being diligent, uh, not taking your eyes off, having an unblinking diligence about remaining in the rest of Jesus. And so that you, you, get, you get to where you more quickly recognize when you're walking in the flesh instead of walking in the Spirit. You, 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 you recognize your heart more quickly so that you recognize, oh, wait a minute, why am I restless right now? Why am I nail-biting again? Why am I worried? Why am I not at rest? And then, and, this, and then he has this idea, and at first read, it gave me a difficulty, maybe it does you too, uh, He's been talking about rest, and then he, all of a sudden, verse 12, decides to start talking about the Word of God. And almost, it almost looked like he started a new topic, but he introduces it with the word for, which is an explanation word. It's, it's basically saying that what I just said will explain how to do this. Oh, so, so striving, being diligent, uh, that word could also be translated to study, the Greek word could be translated to labor, to study, to be diligent, to strive, to, to get in that rest and stay there for the Word of God. I don't think that's an accident. I think, I think he's teaching us right now. You know what's going to help you stay in the rest of Jesus? Get in the Word. Get in it. And don't just get in it and just hear it and just, just read it for intellectual uh, purposes, but get in there and start letting the Holy Spirit apply it to you. Now, let's look at this for a second. For the Word of God is living. That's the Greek word uh, that we get the word uh, zoe from. That's, that's, that's this, this kind of life that's full of... He says the Word of God's alive. It's not like any other book on planet Earth. It, it's alive. And if you go back there and see, he, was, he says he was quoting David in verse 7 when he's talking about Psalm 95. But if you go back to chapter 3 when he was preaching on 95, he said he was quoting the Holy Spirit. Which is it, preacher? It's both. It's both. He's teaching us something about the Word of God, that the Word of God is both divine and human. It's 100% divine. It's 100% human. Because the Holy Spirit inspired men of God to write as He directed. And each one of them wrote according to... He didn't change. It'd be like me picking up different colored pens. I'd be the same guy writing, but here I'm going to write with black. Well, here I'm going to get myself a red pen and write bold. Well, here I'm going to get myself a highlighter. See, I, I could pick up different pens and they would all look different, but it'd be the same words. 
And so he used over 40 human authors over a period of 1,500 years, uh, 66 unique books. There's no other book like it. And so he's talking about this book. He says it's living. And it's living right now because I'm living and I'm talking to you about it. And so the fact that I'm reading it brings it into the present so it's incarnational. It's brought back into life as I read it. And when you read it and study it, the Holy Spirit enlivens it to make it alive for you. It's not a dead book. It's a living book. And it's not all that it is. It's active. It's living and active. The Greek word there is energeus. It's where we get the word energy. The Word of God's energetic. It's effective. It's effectual. It produces results. And then he goes on. He's not finished. He says it's like a two-edged sword, and he begins to do surgery with it. Uh, The vision of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. This is a scalpel. He's talking about a scalpel. And who, who is it that's going to do heart surgery? Because it's about the heart. He goes, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I'm at the end of verse 12. You know who the best heart surgeon of all? It's, it's the Spirit of Christ with the, with the scalpel in His hands. Right here it is. This two-edged sword, this scalpel. And He takes it. And if you'll let Him apply it to you, you can say, Lord, search me and know me. Why am I restless right here? Why am I, why am I worried? Why, why am I wringing my hands right here? And, and if you let Him, He'll bring a word to you. He'll, he'll bring a word to life in the Word of God to you. And you'll find the place that you've got a place of unbelief. You got The reason there's restlessness is because there's unbelief underneath it. There's a place you're not trusting God for provision. There's a tra- place that you're not trusting God with your future. There's a place of unbelief. And when the Word of God is applied to you, I'm not talking about just reading it for knowledge's sake. It's applied to your heart. And he goes, and he uncovers, he discerns, he literally, he, he judges the thoughts and intentions, the motivations and the inner workings that you're not even aware of the things that are motivating you to think and feel the way you do. He cuts all the way to the quick. And it goes in verse 13, there's no, no one that can hide from him. Nothing is hidden. This, it starts, this scalpel is kind of like a laser. It, it lightens everything up so everything comes to light. That's what this, you see what this is. This is how you strive, you study to apply with the, with the, the great physician who uses this scalpel to help you understand what's making you tick so that you can give it to Him and find rest. It shouldn't seem strange that striving and resting go together. Let's read the rest of Christ's invitation. We, we read the first part, but let's read the whole thing. Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We stopped there at the beginning, but let's keep reading. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. There's still work to be done. He's done all the hard work. He's done all the heavy lifting. But now He gives you this light work. It's the work of following Him. It's the work of resting in Him. So we work at resting in Him. If you're a mama, and you're changing diapers, 
You can rest in Jesus as you do it. Don't you need some rest? Like, I don't think I'm going to get any sleep. You got a newborn, you're not getting a lot of sleep. But you can rest in Him knowing that you're doing what He's called you to do. I could keep going. You got a job that you had to put in long hours. You, you, but you can do it resting in His strength. Lord, give me energy to do this. Whatever you're facing today, you can get at it in a new way with a new heart and new motivations so that you're energized to do the work He calls you to do because you're resting, you're supported, held up in Him. And He makes you stand. He allows you to do it. Where are you at today? Where are you wringing your hands? Where are you biting your nails? Where are you worried and upset? Where are you anxious and unrestful? Give unblinking diligence to God's Word. Allow the surgeon, which is the Holy Spirit, who loves you, to expose to you the motivations of your heart so that you might turn it over to Him. I've been trying to think of hymns to close these sermons with the last couple of weeks. Uh, one that came to me while I was working in the yard. I, I couldn't think of one when I was writing this sermon, but just a short little line. And I can't find it anywhere online. The only way I know this song is from the Willow Branch Quartet, which was my mama's quartet. She's with the Lord now. And the name of the chorus, I don't know if it's the name of the song, is At the End of the Road, which speaks of that fourth phase, the glory phase. At the end of the road, many loved ones I'll see. There with Jesus my Lord, I forever shall be. I will ever press on to the blessed abode. There's a heavenly rest at the end of the road. we got a foretaste in Jesus right now, but the full thing... It's coming. Oh, glory, it's coming at the end of the road. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that we have rest in Jesus. Oh, my friend, have you given your life to Jesus? You can find real rest in Him. You can do it today. The entry, the key is faith. You, you must place your belief in Jesus. And you can express your faith by prayer. Would you pray with me, dear Lord Jesus, right where you're at. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for my sins, that you were raised from the grave, that you live today. Come and live in me. Forgive me of my sins and make me the person that you want me to be. I want to be a child of God. I want to follow you. I, I believe in you as my Lord and Savior. I give you my life. If you're praying that prayer believing, you'll find rest in Jesus. You'll find salvation in Jesus. Others are here today, and you believe in Jesus. You've given Him your life. You're a Christ follower, but you're restless today. You're exhausted. Are you carrying something that you're not supposed to carry? There's something to give to Him, that heavy burden, that weariness we're to give to Him, and He wants to replace it with something built for us, a work, a calling. Are you... Are you hand-wringing over something? Holy Spirit, right now, would you examine my heart? Pray like that. Holy Spirit, examine my heart. Where, where am I not at rest? Is it some expectation I've had that's unmet? Is it some concern about provision? 
Where am I not at rest? Lord, help me today to find my complete rest in Jesus. For it's in His name we pray. Amen.